Welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. We have a special episode for you guys today. So special, in fact, that we have split it into two parts. Without further ado, please enjoy part one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Joe Mazzo, and today I'm super excited to finally have Rachel with me. Yay! Hey, I'm Rachel, guys. <laughs> so, Rachel um, is going to be definitely stepping up and helping us out big time, Sean and I, with interviews. So, this will be Rachel's first interview, so everybody listening, um, definitely uh, be supportive and let us know what you think. Uh, give us some some good tips, some good feedback, so we can definitely give that back to Rachel. Now, today's guest is a person that is hard to get in touch with because he's very, very busy and he's very, very important. Um, it's none other than Dr. Pulo. How are you? Oh, well, I am fantastic. And after that, I feel um, like I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely not disagreeing with the fact that I'm... Uh, hard to get a hold of because um, for everyone listening to this, Jovan and I have been in the works for, I mean, it's definitely been well over a month trying to nail yes. down the, um, in fact, if I checked my email a little better, I probably could go back two months and say, yeah, we've been trying to get something on the books. Um, mm-hmm. Because one of the things that is challenging is the fact that I have my feet in two different worlds and I have my hands in a thousand different places. And I guess what's the quote about holding your something to the fire feet or, or fanning the fire? What's that quote? I don't know that quote, but I know what you're fire. I have too many irons in the fire. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm not putting my hands in the fire for those of y'all listening. Please don't follow that advice. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Anybody listening, don't, don't we don't recommend yeah. it. <laughs> um, but no, just to, to kind of update uh, anybody who isn't familiar with me, um, I am a clinical lecturer at UF at the University of Florida, the College of Pharmacy. And so I run quite a few courses and really focus on anything that has to do with uh, interpersonal skills, communication-based things, um, specifically community pharmacy. And while I'm not doing that, I'm running a pharmacy for a chain pharmacy. So I'm a pharmacy manager at uh, CVS. I guess we can disclose which one it is. And within that, of course, I still take students and precept and kind of do all those different things. And then on the side, because that's not enough for me, I also like to have a little bit of legal stuff going on the side. So I've done some, I have a consulting gig that I do and um, do consultant work for legal cases and stuff like that. So inevitably, I'm always doing something on every day of the week. Yes. And you are definitely a jack of all trades and probably one of the most well-rounded pharmacists I've ever met. So, oh, you. well, that, it's true. I mean, you kind of just stated all the awesome things that you do, which is one of the reasons why Sean and I really wanted to make sure we got, got you on for an interview. And something that you are very passionate about is retail. And that's something that I feel is getting such a bad rap, bad rep nowadays as far as a reputation. And that's something that I was hoping you could kind of debunk how people feel about retail. So kind of express your love for retail and why you chose community pharmacy or community or retail pharmacy as your career. Absolutely. I love that you describe it as, you know, retail has this bad rap. Um, because the funny thing is when I was a student, um, 11, you know, 
well, I guess it was like, yeah, 11 years ago, I graduated. So, you know, 14 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, retail had a bad rap then. And it was kind of like, if you were going to graduate and you were going to do retail, you were a cop out, you were taking the money, you were not going to be using all of your knowledge. Um, and the only thing that was really considered acceptable in the pharmacy world was you should do something clinical, which there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that because I think you know, clinical has like its own personal space and pros and cons, like any career, but retail's always had that bad rap. And so I was like, gosh, maybe I don't want to do it. And so I think there's this perpetual idea that students, especially as you get closer to graduation, you know, and and the stakes increase and you think, okay, time's running out. I've got to pick something. I don't want to be a cop out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the person who just took it for the money. Mm -hmm. Almost start, um, going through the motions of listening to these these myths. And so what I would say is you also have to look at, well, where do the myths come from? And I think a lot of them come from, you know, pharmacists that aren't necessarily the greatest community-based pharmacists, that if we were being totally honest with ourselves as a profession, we would be looking back and saying, okay, we do we have 100% of the perfect players in place? And I think the answer is no. And there's reasons for that, right? Pharmacy yeah. for the time was in a shortage. We've kind of changed into a new market. Um, the demands are different. The required skills are different. And so I think that pharmacy is changing. And, and when I say pharmacy, retail pharmacy is changing. And that wrap that comes with it is also changing. Because what I feel now from students is not quite the same bad reputation of it mm-hmm. than when I was a student. Yeah. And I- I'll even agree with that statement because I remember after my Kippy, my first community rotation, what, three years ago? I was like, oh, no, I can never do this. <laughs> like, I literally thought to myself, I was like, how does Dr. Phil enjoy this? But after doing my community rotation in my fourth year, I was like, oh, this isn't bad. Like, this is actually kind of fun. And I think sometimes a lot of us just have that in our head where we're kind of talked into thinking that community or retail is bad, but it could maybe just be a store. It could maybe just be your experience with that company, or maybe it's just, you don't have as much knowledge as you had, which I think was my issue with my um, first community rotation was just, I didn't have enough information. I wasn't knowledgeable about all the self-care and counseling and all that. And once I gained that knowledge through more practice and repetition, it was like, it was kind of fun. Like it was fun to engage with these patients and I'm not just counting pills all day. Like I'm having real interactions. I'm having an impact in the community and I'm bet I'm seeing the the benefit that I'm giving these people daily. Like it's an awesome and memorable experience. And I used to definitely feel that way as well. But after experiencing it um, this past year, I could definitely see why people would go the community route. Right. I love that you share that story too, Jovan, because, you know, I, when I was a student as well, I had worked at a couple of different places and I had that feeling of like, oh my gosh, there's no way that I am going to graduate and be able to do this and be happy. So even, you know, I mean, most people who know me know how much I do love retail pharmacy. And Mm -hmm. so you think, okay, well, I've always been that person, but the reality is that I haven't. It took much like you, my exposure to a specific place to say, oh, things can be different. I had to watch what great pharmacists practicing in the community pharmacy setting looked like and how did that culture look? And then that's when I realized, okay, it's relative. So it's not just, oh, this blanket statement about community pharmacy and retail, 
that each one is going to be different, you know, and it's it's specific to, I think, the leadership of that pharmacist in charge and how they conduct their pharmacy. That's exactly yeah. what happened to me and what I learned because I also work at CVS. So okay. when I started there in 2018, my pharmacists were great and I learned a lot from them. But during the summer when um, hours are a little bit shorter since you know, students are off school and that's like, they come back home for the holidays. So they're filling up their normal positions. And I'm over here trying to like get full-time hours still before school started, of course, just to like get a better, like a better paycheck. So I'm over here working, I'm floating around to all these different stores. Like I worked at probably over like 10 stores, different stores. And that was when I could really see like a, the Mm. location, just like the pharmacists that work there, the technicians too. And just like the environment they created and like their process, because it's almost like a different, it's like the same company, it's the same CVS, they have the same values and protocols, but just each store was so different and like how they interacted with their patients and their regulars. So Uh just filling in, I could see the same thing, like what you're saying. I totally agree. It's just like the store that you get, like really can change your mind about it. Absolutely. And it's not a company thing. You know, I think it's, I think it's specific to what is the pharmacist in charge of that pharmacy hold important and do they love their job and are they spreading that kind of culture in their pharmacy to bring other people into the mindset of we're not just counting pills, like you said, Joven, that we're actually doing something greater. And Mm -hmm. I know we've kind of done this really long winded answer and your original (laughs) question was, you know, can you tell me a little bit about like what you love about it? Uh-huh. And it's kind of like this full circle moment because it's, it's exactly that. Um, and you hinted at it. What you realized was we're not just doing these processes and these technical operations. Really at the heart of what's happening is we are connecting with patients and building really significant relationships that ultimately can be used to our advantage to help people um, grow in their healthcare journey, to make significant changes to their Um, lifestyle, to help empower them to make educated decisions about their medication use. Basically, more than any other profession, I feel like we have the ability to integrate ourselves into people's lives and influence their outcomes more so than any other profession. We see the pharmacist sees the patient more than anybody else. That is hands down, just a fact. I have patients that I see multiple times a month. You know, nobody goes to doctor that much. Definitely no, and that's that's a statistical fact. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember reading that um, a couple of years ago. And so, kind of touching on that about the how special community pharmacy is. Can you kind of tell our audience what you feel is dip, separates it from other fields within pharmacy? Well, that's a great question, and and I guess I'll just elaborate on it because what I really feel like it separate that separates it is that con- continuity of care with patients um, mm-hmm. that really is wrapped up into the relationship. So the average patient, right, they go about their life, they maintain pretty healthy standards, something happens, you know, then they add on a specialist to their primary care. So now they're kind of navigating two. And that's not too bad, because usually there's a little bit of communication and overlap, especially if they're in the same healthcare system. Fast forward down the road, right? Something else goes wrong. Now they have another specialist or now they have an acute care person who's involved, somebody who's temporary. The pharmacist at all times is really the only consistent player that sees all of these different aspects happening. 
And I think it's well documented and well known that discharge from the hospital and the whole uh, medication reconciliation process that should be happening isn't happening in the best possible way, um, right? Because we've got transition of care now coming to the forefront to hopefully resolve some of that. But the pharmacist ultimately is the person who can help the patient understand these changes that are happening. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what separates it. The catch to that is you have to make a conscious choice as a retail pharmacist. Do I want to be part of that process or do I not want to? Because I don't think that that is a standard that we have set in the profession. I wish it would be, right? I'm, I'm definitely an advocate for it. But when yeah. we look at company um, core roles and, and the metrics that evaluate company performance, there's really not one that backs that up. And so that's the challenge, I think, right now is, you know what? You, you don't really get um, rewarded, per se, for that. The company doesn't know this is yeah. happening. Um, you're not really paid to do that because you're paid based on these other core metrics. But that's actually what makes you happy. That's what brings joy at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Not because I, I don't know, put how many labels on how many bottles um, or dispensed how many sales. You know, it just yeah. got to be something more than that. And that's what I think community pharmacy is, why it's so special. So I know what you're saying about the core metrics, because I know like my own pharmacy manager always like talks about that. But I think in a way, I think it's like that, relationship you do have with your patient, it does kind of indirectly affect it because the more people that come to your store because they want that relationship with you and the more times they come back to ask you questions and pick up their medicine and just stay consistent with you because they have that trust with you, right. of course, it's going to like improve your metrics. So it is unfortunate that like a lot of retail companies, like they do push because I've like I said, I've worked with so many different pharmacists and some of them are just exactly what you said. They don't integrate that relationship with their patients. They're strictly about meeting their numbers, getting their quotas. So it, yeah, it is unfortunate that like there isn't a metric that just directly measures like how well you can integrate your relationship with patients. But I feel like in a way it does indirectly affect it in a good way. Right. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Rachel. And, and I probably should clarify that. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to have a way to evalu evaluate the performance of a pharmacy, right? And there is no, well, it sounds like I'm being critical. I'm presenting a problem without a solution because there probably is no way to truly evaluate that, right? We have customer service yeah. uh, scores and surveys. Um, and I think we've tried our best to, to see that, but you're right. Most of the metrics are indirect. And I think you make a, a valid point here. And I want to clarify it because this is the difference is, like you said, there's pharmacy managers and pharmacists that are metric chasers. And so that all their leadership skills become very focused on that. And in the process of it, I think we kind of push the way to the wayside, the idea of relationship building, right? And, and the perfect example of that is a lot of pharmacists don't want to um, be upfront ringing people up on the register, right? Because they're trying to mm -hmm. push all these yeah. operational metrics behind the scene. But I have always been an advocate of it. I ring up probably 80% of my patients because that's where relationship building happens, right? I, you, it's a captive audience. They can't leave, you know, without pain. <laughs> not, well, hopefully not. Otherwise, we got other problems. <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, not. 
<laughs> but that's where conversation happens. That's where you learn about people's families. That's where you share, you know, intimate details about yourself and become vulnerable with patients and um, ask questions about the medication they're picking up and really help to build to build a connection with those patients. And if you're not thinking that way, then you're not at the register ringing people up. You're running kind of the show, driving those metrics. And, and I think that's what I mean when I say, you know, we don't, we don't have a, a standard per se that says this is the pharmacist that is going to be running the pharmacy, someone who believes this way. And I'll, I don't say this to be like braggatory or anything like that, but like last year, my pharmacy was number one in the district, which was super awesome. And, and I was yeah. super congrats. Thank yeah, you. Because um, we've got some amazing leaders on our team. And so one would look at it and say, wow, you're like definitely one of the strongest leaders we have. But I don't actually like believe that and think that like I'm a great leader, but I am not a great operational leader. So, you know, in the spirit of this conversation and what we're talking about, it's a perfect example of if you lead with heart and you say, you know what, my whole thing is that I'm building these relationships and I'm really connecting with the patients that I have. I think all of the other metrics will fall into place. Because as I look on our team, you know, I mean, I think what I possess is an incredible skill of building cultures, like building the culture of the pharmacy, getting people into invest into this ideology that I have and treating patients the way that I believe they should be treated and, and building teams that like embrace that. So that's where my strengths lie. And luckily that has been very helpful for me. But I, I think that's a very specific type of leadership trait that maybe contributes to a standard of what a great pharmacist looks like. And maybe that's where the difference is, you know? Yeah. So speaking of like the metrics and, you know, the different quotas and, you know, that kind of area of retail pharmacy and, you know, living this pandemic that we've been in, you know, COVID-19 completely changing a lot of like how retail pharmacy is. How do you think COVID-19 like has changed your work experience? Well, COVID-19 has been like the double-edged sword of the world, right? In so many ways, it's um, been hurtful, but I think in so many ways, it's kind of been helpful. We've been able to improve processes, um, become more efficient in some ways, and it's kind of changed the landscape. And so I think for retail pharmacy, it's shined a light on maybe the necessity of having good relationships with patients because it's really ironic that COVID-19 in a store like mine allowed us to catapult up to the number one position because we didn't lose a lot of patients. And and I really, in my heart of hearts, believe it's because the patients are really like I'm their pharmacist. They're not going to someone else, especially not now. So we kept nearly a hundred percent of our patients. A lot of stores tra- lost a, pa- a lot of people to transfers we don't have a drive-through, so a lot of people. I was about to ask that. I was about to ask yeah. if we had a drive-through or not. We sure don't. So, and and of course, remember, I'm inside of a Target, so you have to go into the store, and you know, everybody kind of got freaked out in the beginning because we didn't know. Then you had limited hours, so our hours changed, so that became inconvenient for some people. So a lot of things kind of worked against us, and 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 I'm really, I think, most proud of this. And that's why I want to share it is that the relationships that I had established and worked so hard to maintain with these patients came back tenfold. And our, my patients are amazing because they have stuck with us. 
we obviously have gotten some new things like mail delivery that as at no charge. And so those processes also helped. So I'm not denying that at all, but that's where I think COVID-19 has really kind of changed the landscape is it allowed me to be able to call these patients that I didn't get to see person to person anymore and still be able to influence them to, you know, get their medications out delivered on time uh, to get their refills so that their adherence rates stayed up um, to pick up medications that their doctor called in that they didn't know were there um, help, you know, financially, right? We know it was a huge problem. Try to help find more cost-effective medications, discount cards, et cetera. So I think that has been the most significant change. And luckily I had that in place already, you know, that, that culture of connection. Definitely. And that's something that I've always personally believed, especially with the geriatric population. If you're trying to have like a commitment from them or connect with them, it's all about the relationship. Right. You know, can they trust you? Are you reliable? Can I depend on you? And even on my personal rotations, I could tell how much they enjoyed me just listening to them speak, even if it wasn't about pharmacy and how it's like, all right, I want to be back just because you listened to me. And now I feel like I can trust you because you took the time out of your day to invest in me. So I want to take my time out of my day to keep investing into your pharmacy or to whatever um, you're informing me about or educating or counseling me about. So that's something that I think is definitely true and something that I plan on definitely applying going forward. Um, hopefully, if I get into like managerial positions and whatnot, it's definitely having that um, service mentality type leadership because that's what it seems like you're definitely talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the geriatric population is is interesting in that, you know, it's kind of this most vulnerable population where in school, we teach, you know, polypharmacy and we teach, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of helping patients by minimizing pill burden and cost reduction and all these things, MTM really at its finest. And then it's no question, right? The geriatric population is kind of like the core group of people who embody this. But what I think we find is they have challenges with communication, with technology. Uh, they get confused yeah. easily. Their needs are different. And so what happens is in the real world, we start getting um, impatient with them and we get frustrated that they can't keep up as, as well, uh, that they call in for things when you could be doing it remotely as the app. All of the things that we want, right? Because in school we say, yes, I want to be this pharmacist that makes these interventions. We kind of mm -hmm. forget when the real world sets in and the stress of things set in and uh, the heat kind of gets turned up on, you know, like I said, metrics and all these other things. Yeah. So I, I love that you bring up that population because I think for me it has been one of the easiest to connect to, you know, because I recognize like, you know, that's somebody's grandmother, that's somebody's mom. Yes. And one day I'm going to be in that position, you know, God willing, hopefully I get to that point. And I'm going to want somebody to hopefully bring the same sense of compassion and empathy in their practice and that I can find somebody like that. So I try to practice with that mindset as well. I love that. That was one of my big, my biggest takeaways when I was a 1PD student in your lab. Like I remember you always, we had like our motivational Mondays yep. and I always remember, yes. <laughs> I always remember like the, one of the ones that stuck out to me was the one about empathy and just like that completely changed. Like when I go to work, I think about, okay, like that is someone's cousin, relative, like that's someone's grandmother. So it kind of just puts things into perspective. And I think 
if a lot of the retail pharmacists kind of thought that way, then I think that could also improve patient relationships. So I'm really glad that you showed me that because that has affected me personally. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're still doing uh, Motivational Monday. It's still going super strong. Um, but yeah, and, and that's why I think it's so important, you know, to share these stories because, you know, we can teach you everything pharmacy related, right? Pharmacology, therapy, oh. et cetera. And we can teach you empathetic strategies. But the reality is, is that you have to kind of come to this realization or this understanding that we are really just people taking care of other people who happen to have extra knowledge about something. But at the end of the day, this is a human-based profession. And the minute that we like get away from that and forget that we're taking care of other people and say, oh, well, I'm not that. I'm, I'm driving metrics. I'm driving this. I'm driving sales. I'm holding a business. And again, I totally get healthcare is a business. We got to make money. I totally understand that. But at its core, we have to always be able to remember it's a human-based profession because once that's gone, then you're just another pharmacy and another number and another person doing something operational and people will just move on to the next best thing. Yeah. That was like a drop the mic moment. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. No, that was really good. Thank um, you. You know, you know, I love Oprah. And so she always calls it yeah. aha moments. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so <laughs> this... you, you flatter me so much, Shevin. I feel like I, I've just in, uh, tapped into my like inner Oprah. <laughs> I think you did because you can you can ask Sean like I've you can never get me to shut up <laughs> so it's like for me to be speechless it's, this is the first time on what I've been doing this for like three years so this is the first time in three years I've been speechless so yeah props props to you <laughs> um we'll have to okay talk, I'll have to get one more in here before before the end of the show <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely go for it all right I want to circle back to something you kind of mentioned earlier about how you felt, which I never thought about, and I think it does make sense now that you said it, the fact that a lot of the pharmacists that are working in the community or retail setting may not be the best or the most well-equipped for that position. Mm -hmm. So do you think having a residency as a qualifier, a PGY-1 residency for community pharmacy would help to kind of fix that and kind of make um, the people that are the most well-equipped or the people that are truly interested in this field or um, want to really be a retail or community pharmacist that they would explore that path because they would have to do a PGY-1, kind of like how it is with um, with the hospital setting right now or with the fellowship when it goes to industry. Hey, I think that is a fantastic question because you are absolutely right. I think what happens is you get out and after four years of a post-grad curriculum and a year of rotations, a lot of people get tapped out. You know, it's like, yes. okay, I am done. Like, I, I just can't even envision another year. That's I, I, I'm preaching to the choir, aren't I? <laughs> uh, news to come, Rachel. Um <laughs> So I, I think absolutely that happens. And so that is so unfortunate that people would make a decision because you got to the very last leg of the race and then just decided to go ahead and like step out because that's really what happened, right? Like you literally were running a marathon, you got to the end and there was kind of a bonus round and you said, you know what? I've been running too long. I'm done. I'm, I'm like, I don't want that yeah. medal. And 
to do that. I think it's just, it's, it almost is a, is a disservice in so many ways. It's a disservice to yourself because four years is a long time. And at the end of the day, I get it. It's a whole nother year. I also understand people have different needs in their life and demands mm-hmm. that change. So I also understand there are outstanding factors or other extemporaneous things that happen where people can't go do the residency and they want to. And so out of necessity, they have to take a, a community position. So I also understand that, but I'm talking about the people who like they could do it. They just voluntarily choose yeah. not to. And I think that's where you have to say, are you real? Like you're not the best fit. Like you're not mm-hmm. doing it because you want to do it. You're doing it because you didn't have the willpower to continue a little further. So yeah. are you really going to be the best version of yourself in this role? And more than that, are you going to be happy? Because, you know, the catch to work and career is we spend more time working in our life than we do any other thing. You know, you spend more time with your coworkers. I see some of my patients more than I see my spouse and my friends. I certainly spend more time with my technician than I do with my spouse. Like, you know, I mean, and we're in this intimate setting in a box, like for, you know, nine, 10 hours a day. Like that's a long time to be doing something and not find joy in that and to be miserable and hate what you do. And so then, you know, those, those types of people, I think easily become jaded at all the other things that happen and we're humans. So what happens is I think we kind of project that frustration out and who do we project it on? We project it on our students students who come through, you know, uh, and I'm sure some students listening to this podcast now could attest to this, that they've maybe worked with a pharmacist or been been with a pharmacist and they're like, oh, don't do this. You don't want to be a pharmacist. I hear these stories all the time, you know, and, and I think that that's the reason why, like, because they don't, they're not happy doing what they're doing and they've been doing it so long that they're kind of stuck because they can't really go out and do something else now. Uh, financially, right? I get it. You got a family. Maybe you can't go back and do a residency. But at the end of the day, like you have to look at this as the long haul. So one year in the course of a 20 to 30 year career span is really small if it will lead you to do what you love to do and be happy in this life. So I think that's one of the reasons we have the, some wrong, the wrong people in place. Yeah, I mentioned earlier how I floated to all those different CVSs like over the summers when I was trying to get those hours in. And every single pharmacist that I worked with, within a couple hours, you know, you like get there, you start working. And then, you know, finally, when you get a minute to breathe, because, you know, how busy you can get, they're like, oh, like, what are your goals? Like, they start asking you a little bit about yourself. And I'm like, oh, like, I'm actually, I just got into UF pharmacy school. I'm going to be starting with, you know, the next couple months. And they're like, oh my gosh, why would you pick pharmacy? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? It just made me feel like almost kind of bad. I was like, well, like I really <laughs> like pharmacy. This is like the whole like reason why I wanted to be here, you know? So it did, it is kind of like a shock when, when I heard it for the first time, definitely. But then as I went to more and more stores, it was like a more and more common like feeling. And I was like, wow, like this is actually kind of sad. Like I, you know, wish that I sometimes would hear like, a different feeling like, Oh, like, wow. Like, you know, there's so much room for change in pharmacy and like kind of uplifting comments, but most like almost 99% of the time it was like, Oh, like don't do pharmacy, like go to medical school or something. So yeah, that's exactly. Med school, PA school. I've heard all that. Yep. Um, Like everything but pharmacy. It's like, eh, 
I kind of like where I'm at. I'll stick Mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that we have advocates like y'all who are helping to, (laughs) you know, push the idea that that's not necessarily like the total truth. But the thing is, think how many people hear that and then change their mind. So they don't really apply. Um, They do something different. And maybe they really wanted to do it, but then it got talked out of it. And so I think we also lose a really large group of high potential candidates because of what's happening. And and the reality is, is that those people don't often even know about all the other things in pharmacy that are not just the standalone, you know, typical retail settings. I mean, specialty is a form of retail pharmacy, right? And that's a totally different genre. So, you know, I, I find that really sad to think that there's that many pharmacists out there that are so unhappy that they would kind of promote this idea that like, this is a bad profession. And so I think to your original question, Jovan, when you ask about that, this, this, this is exactly what I'm talking about, you know? And mm-hmm. the reality is, is that like, I guess I sound like a hyper liberal probably when I say <laughs> this, but, but like pharmacy is a changing landscape. And so at yeah. some point, as is the nature of all forms of evolution and change, you kind of lose like some of the dead skin as new skin develops. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate, but it's the truth that to promote forward in the way that I think the profession is moving and needs to move, not just for our personal selves, but for like the healthcare system as a whole, because right, I think it's undeniable that we have more than enough problems and we could be one of the potential solutions to some of those problems that we need to recognize like we've got to change and that change requires some specific traits that some people just don't have and you know that's just the truth 